0: In this action, King Josiah fulfilled a prophecy made long ago by an unnamed man of God when he denounced the altar that King Jeroboam had built. Again, Jeroboam was the first king of the newly formed northern kingdom after the schism. In that famous prophecy, Josiah was the king named to carry out this reform. Bible is full of stories that we all know and love. But how well do we know them? The answer might surprise you. The Bible you thought you knew is going to dive deep into the exquisite details of the biblical stories that make them fascinating and transforming. In last week's podcast, we dealt with a king of Judah who is highly praised in the Bible but nevertheless not popularly known. That is King Josiah, whose story is told in 2 Kings chapters 22 and 23, and 2 Chronicles chapters 34 and 35. This is the second of three installments on that king. In the first segment, we learn that when the king was 26, he was engaged in repairing the Jerusalem temple. During this refurbishing process, The high priest told the king's secretary out of the blue that he had found the Torah scroll, which, according to the Bible's current canonical arrangement, is the first five books. That scroll was essential to Israel's faith and life, as the Lord had explained long ago to Joshua, Israel's leader, in chapter 1 of the book of Joshua. Later, Joshua read the scroll to all Israel in chapter 8 of Joshua, and then emphasized its importance in the last chapter of the same book, and that's in chapter 24. That was the last time the scroll was seen, let alone read, until the high priest found the document. When Josiah heard its contents as his secretary read, the king realized that Judah was not even close to complying with the agreement between the Lord and Israel. In fact, the scroll indicated that the people were under God's judgment. Subsequently, Huldah the prophetess confirmed Josiah's interpretation of the scroll and announced that, indeed, Judah was soon to undergo severe punishment. Josiah the king was to be spared from witnessing this devastation, but that would require his premature death. Keep in mind that this story features Judah because of Israel's schism following King Solomon's death. At that time, Israel had divided into two factions, a northern kingdom called Israel and a southern kingdom called Judah. When King Josiah was in power, Israel, the northern kingdom, had a hundred years previously lost its political autonomy. Consequently, Judah was optimistic about their future because they had survived, whereas Israel had lost their independence. That optimism was misplaced, however, as both the Torah scroll and Huldah the prophetess indicated. Judah was under the same judgment that led to Israel's misfortune. Still, though Judah was facing divine punishment and Josiah was now anticipating an early death, the king did not take this news passively. Instead, he instigated a different kind of refurbishment of the temple. This time it required more than repairing bricks and mortar. The text does not reveal what Josiah thought when his delegation reported Huldah's oracle to the king, but there is no doubt about his actions. Clearly, King Josiah took seriously what she had said, and as well the contents of the Torah scroll. Thus he gathered the men of Judah, perhaps leading people in the community, and Jerusalem citizens, priests and prophets, important and ordinary folk, and read the Torah scroll to them himself, that's in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 23 of Second Kings. The site of this reading was the temple. As noted, the temple was undergoing physical repair, but a different kind of repair was soon to be realized. Interestingly, though Josiah issued commands for various people to carry out the reform of the temple, for example, the high priests, the priests of the second order, and the keepers of the temple threshold— The grammar used in this description makes it seem as though Josiah performed these reformative tasks all on his own. Josiah is the subject of numerous verbs in 17 verses throughout chapter 23. This syntactical strategy puts in bold relief that King Josiah was responsible for this thoroughgoing reform of the temple, its personnel its practices, its rituals, and its liturgy. The Torah scroll and Huldah were catalysts, but Josiah was the one who took the initiative to implement the necessary changes. Josiah's reform involved at first subtraction. That is because syncretistic elements that had been part of temple worship for a long time needed to be excised. Now, All religious traditions have syncretistic elements, but some are benign, whereas others are malignant. Malignant features are those that fundamentally alter the essence of the religious tradition with which they are mixed. If these are not expunged, the character of the host religious tradition will be changed beyond recognition. It was these elements that Josiah attacked. In a series of moves, the king got rid of the following. One, he removed vessels that were used to worship deities besides the Lord and burned them. That's in verse 4. Two, he deposed priests who were engaged in burning incense to gods who were idols from an Israelite perspective. That's in verse 5. Burning incense, of course, is a worshiping activity. 3. He brought out the Asherah, burned it, and scattered the ashes on graves as a sign of disrespect. That's in verse 6. And Asherah is made out of wood and betokens idolatry. Number 4. He broke down the places where the male prostitutes were housed. That's in verse 7. These were people engaged in rites designed to induce members of the divine world to be fertile, which in turn was supposed to have a positive effect on the ground's productivity, not to mention the productivity of animals and people as well. Basically, Josiah tried mightily to do away with every foreign influence that had become a regular part of temple operations. But Judah's problems extended beyond the Jerusalem temple. These syncretistic religious practices and ideas had become widespread. For that reason, Josiah next set his sights on places beyond Jerusalem. He began by expelling priests who had presided in nearby cities, plus he defiled high places where these worship centers were housed and destroyed some of them. That's in verse 8. High places are a technical term in biblical literature, which refer to sites where idolatry, again from an Israelite perspective, is featured. Josiah did this from Geba to Beersheba, which demonstrates how extensive was the territory where the reforms were administered. Incidentally. The priests officiating in these high places did not serve the altar in the Jerusalem temple. That's in verse 9. Continuing his assault on the mixture of non-Israelite and Israelite religious traditions, Josiah defiled Topheth, an infamous place where children were apparently sacrificed to the god Molech. That's in verse 10. Equally, the king removed the horses that had been dedicated to the sun, that is, the sun god, and for good measure, he burned chariots that had also been dedicated to the same deity. That's in verse 11. But Josiah was still not finished. He tore down and broke into pieces altars that two former Judean kings had erected, namely Ahaz and Manasseh. That's in verse 12 having ground the debris into dust, he threw it into a brook. Josiah even destroyed some of the high places that Solomon himself had built. That's in verse 13. Solomon had constructed these in honor of deities honored by people living in Sidon, Moab, and Ammon. If nothing else, this illustrates how long Israel had been engaged in syncretistic practices. Josiah also shattered the pillars and cut down wooden poles, both of which belonged to non-Israelite traditions. That's in verse 14. Almost literally, Josiah left no stone unturned. Indeed, the king refused to confine his reform efforts to the southern kingdom. Paying no attention to boundaries, he destroyed the altar at Bethel that Jeroboam, the northern kingdom's first monarch after the schism, had installed. That's in verse 15. He crushed into dust the stones with which this altar had been made. Further, Josiah burned the Asherah there. To desecrate this altar, Josiah burned bones extracted from nearby tombs on it. That's in verse 16. According to the narrator, in this action, King Josiah fulfilled a prophecy made long ago by an unnamed man of God, another word for a prophet, when he denounced the altar that King Jeroboam had built. Again, Jeroboam was the first king of the newly formed northern kingdom after the schism. That's in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 2. In that famous prophecy, Josiah was the king named to carry out this reform. While Josiah was in the process of this frenzied activity, he asked about a monument he had just noticed. That's in verse 17. Perhaps he thought that that was the next object he would destroy. But he was told that the monument was a tomb. In fact, This was where a prophet's remains were entombed. But this was not just any random prophet. This was the grave of the very prophet who had decried against Jeroboam's altar and the very prophet who, as we noted, named Josiah as the king who would one day make these things come to pass. For the first time, Josiah realized that he was doing exactly as the prophet had predicted. When told about the tomb, Josiah ordered that the prophet's bones were not to be disturbed. That's in verse 18. This was a sign of respect. After this gesture, Josiah continued to get rid of offensive features that had crept into Israelite religious traditions over the centuries. He eliminated the shrines of the high places that northern kings had installed. That's in verse 19. Finally, he executed the priests who were still officiating at these religious sites, which were despicable from an Israelite perspective. That's in verse 20. Once he burned the bones of the condemned, Josiah returned to Jerusalem. But Josiah did more than subtract. He added as well. And one of the most important features of this addition was to make sure that the Passover was celebrated. That's in verse 21. According to this complex of biblical material, the former prophets, which is Joshua through 2 Kings, the last time Israel observed Passover was recounted in the book of Joshua, chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, even before Jericho was attacked. The Passover, remember, was designed to commemorate God's rescuing Israel from Egyptian bondage. You'll see that story in Exodus 12. Passover was to Israel, as Christmas or Easter was to the later Christian church. Sadly, this important religious holiday had been neglected for the longest time. Josiah was the first king to celebrate Passover. That means that Saul, David, and Solomon had not bothered to keep Passover. It also meant that no king of the southern kingdom, Judah, or the northern kingdom, Israel, had ever seen to it that the people celebrated Passover either. That all changed with Josiah that's in verses 22 and 23. Before Josiah died, the text summarizes what the king had done to remove every objectional feature that had plagued Israelite worship patterns. He did this solely because of the newly found Torah scroll, that's in verses 24 and 25. For his reformative actions, the narrator praises King Josiah as incomparable. Quote, "...before him there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all of Moses' Torah. Nor did any like him arise after him." End of quote. Once more the question arises, How did someone so highly praised by the biblical narrative somehow get forgotten in the public imagination, especially on the part of people who think they know the Bible well? Let me know if you have a satisfactory answer. But Josiah's story in 2 Kings is not yet over. The ending presents us with a dilemma. Why so? Well, first, the narrator reminds us that Judah is under serious divine judgment, just as the Torah scroll and the prophetess Huda had indicated. A previous Judean king, namely Manasseh, had been so incredibly evil that no subsequent king could persuade God to stay the judgment. That's in verse 26. Just as God had orchestrated events that led to Israel's loss of autonomy, the deity would now do the same to Judah. God will not even spare the temple, the very place of which God had proclaimed, My name shall be there. No matter how much Josiah had done to reform Judah and the temple, for which he received the highest of accolades, God's judgment would not be canceled. Josiah had done his best, but it was too little and too late. In the final analysis, Josiah's efforts were Herculean, but ultimately to no avail. Still, that is not the full extent of the dilemma. The narrator had let us know from the beginning of the story that Judah would be judged regardless. What Josiah did was praiseworthy, but it would not prevent God from punishing Judah. We learned that from the outset of the story. Josiah himself, though, was the center of this dilemma. Remember that Huldah had given Josiah high marks for his spiritual demeanor when he first heard the Torah scroll read. Because of his humble and penitent attitude, She promised that Josiah would not leave to see the disastrous events unfold. Instead, the Lord would gather the king to his fathers, a euphemistic way of speaking of death. While how Josiah would die is not specified, Huldah offered that Josiah would go to his grave, Bushalom, or in peace. Perhaps that did not mean that Josiah would die relatively painlessly or in his sleep, but it certainly could not have been a description for how the king did, in fact, die. Pharaoh Necho, the current Egyptian king, had marched to meet the Assyrian king. The Egyptians and Assyrians were allies at the time. That's in verse 29. Josiah decided to meet Pharaoh in Megiddo, which is Israelite territory. The reason for this is not given. No altercation or diplomatic discussion is so much as mentioned. All we are told is that Pharaoh Necho murdered King Josiah when he saw him. Josiah appears to have been the only casualty in this encounter. Just like that. Josiah was killed and brought back to Jerusalem, where he was buried. That's in verse 30. In this light, what are we to make of Huldah's prophecy that Josiah would die in peace? The Hebrew word shalom has many nuances, but by no stretch could it ever suggest such a violent death. Josiah died in war, hardly not in peace why did Huldah make such a statement? Did she say this so that Josiah would not be overly anxious as he carried out his reforms? That scarcely seems likely, because at that point in the story, it is impossible to know that Josiah would undertake a reform project. Was she simply wrong? It would not be the first time a prophet misspoke but she was spot on about the pending judgment as the final chapters of Second Kings demonstrate. Was this some kind of a cruel prophetic joke? It would be easier to accept that she was flat out wrong about the eventual manner of Josiah's death. Hulda's prophecy remains enigmatic. Now, it is possible that Josiah undercut Hulda's prophecy, by his going to meet with the Pharaoh in the first place. We are not told what was on his mind. Was he seeking an alliance? If so, that would suggest that Josiah thought he could avoid divine judgment by making common cause with Egypt many other prophets warned about the folly of seeking such alliances as a way of avoiding God's judgment. Certainly, Josiah seems not to have had belligerent intentions. His servants brought him back to Jerusalem, not one word that he was accompanied by soldiers. Though the text is extremely cryptic, that is the only thing that makes any sense, other than that the prophetess was merely mistaken. Without resolving this tension, the biblical text allows to stand the contradiction between Huldah's prophecy and Josiah's violent death. In the final segment in the biblical story of Josiah, the one recounted in Second Chronicles, we will see the king of Judah in a very different light indeed. At the end of this podcast, once again, I want to recommend that you go to my website, faspina.com, and I want to encourage you to register and leave me your email so that when we are ready to offer our mini courses in August or September, we will have a way to contact you. I want to thank you so very much for listening to The Bible You Thought You Knew. I have a question for you. Do you have a question or topic that you'd like me to cover on the podcast? If so, all you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do two simple things. One, leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. Two, in that review, ask anything you want related to the Bible. That's all you have to do. Then, listen in to hear your question answered on a future episode. Join us next time on The Bible You Thought You Knew when we discuss Jesus' personal Bible. God bless.